The Sangha is invited to come back to our breathing so that our collective energy of mindfulness will bring us together as an organism, going as a river with no more separation. Let the whole Sangha breathe as one body, chant as one body, listen as one body, and transcend the boundaries of a delusive self liberating from the superiority complex, the inferiority complex, and the equality complex.
Hãy subscribe cho kênh Ghiền Mì Gõ Để không bỏ lỡ những video hấp dẫn 
Today is the 9th January 2014. We are in the Stillwater Meditation Hall of the Upper Hamlet in the Winter Retreat 2013-2014. Can we hear clearly? This morning, Brother Phak Duyang chant in English. Bringing morning light. That's a translation by Sister Chungduk. Translate uh, not lit, not close to the meaning, but okay. In Vietnamese, is um, the Sangha body um, brightens. Uh, in the morning.
the men, it's men and his son. In the morning, in the early morning, the uh, Dharma body is, um, is bright. The, the Dharma body shines brilliantly in, in the morning. Not, not bringing morning light, but bringing morning light is also as good. First of all, we need to understand what Dharma body is that shines brilliantly in the morning. What is it that it can bring morning more light? Fabdung is the Dharmakaya, Dharma body. In Chinese, Fabdung is written like that. The word Fapthang has its uh, has its origin during the time of the Buddha. Uh, one time, the Buddha visited a disciple that was really sick, about to die, and that uh, that disciple's name was Kal- Kali. And the Buddha asked uh, Kali if he had regretted anything. And he said, "I don't regret anything, but only one thing that I regret is that I am very sick, and I can go. I cannot go to the Greater Guta Mountain to listen to the, the Buddha's talk and to um, to look at the Buddha." And the Buddha said, um, "Dear disciple, my." My body is not very important. You already have my dharma body, so you already have my dharma. But you already have my dharma body. You don't need to see my uh, physical body. And so from then, from that time, there was already the term nyukthang, a flesh body or physical body, and fapthang. Uh, Dharma body, and that the the physical body of the Buddha can be destroyed, can be deteriorated, but the Dharma body cannot be destroyed. So, so, um, so Dharma body means. The teaching body. It means, it means the dharma, uh, the body of the dharma, and this body is already transmitted to the students. Uh, that everyone, uh, that all the students carry the dharma body in him or in her, and we know that dharma has two kinds. One is called is called the living dharma, and the other one is uh, is um, the dharma that is written, that is recorded, or that is written down. And there are CDs that has the dharma in it. 
It's spoken dharma. There are talks uh, that's given like like this one is called spoken dharma. And there are books that are called written dharma. But 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 that is they're not as good as the dharma body. That is the living dharma body. That whenever we breathe uh, peacefully, then it is and it is the living dharma. When we walk in meditation, and every uh, every one of our steps has peace and joy, peace and happiness. That's the living dharma. Living Dharma. And then another, there's another meaning of the Dharma, uh, Dharma body. It's a practice, our own practice. That each one of us has a physical body. But if we are a disciple of the Buddha, if we practice according to the Buddha's teaching, then we have a second body called the Dharma body, and we have it also. And our Dharma body is our practice. Your practice body. Dharma body is also practice body. But if our practice if our practice is solid, then we have more happiness. We have capacity to manage our suffering. We have capacity to generate joy and happiness. And that is so it all depends on our body, whether our dharma body is solid or not. So in the morning, when we go for sitting meditation, we have to we have to practice so that our dharma body shines brilliantly. And so when we in the morning we are um, awake, and so that our dharma body can can shine brilliantly. And that as students, we know that early in the morning is a good time to study because we can absorb really a lot. And that at the end of the day, we're so tired that that you know, what we study does not come in so much. And so, um, studying in the morning is very good. And so in the morning, my practice is strong. My practice is solid in the morning. My practice is shining forth. That, that's what it means by this line. And so every one of us has a physical body and, and a dharma body. And that every day we have to nourish our dharma body so that it can grow bigger. Is your dharma body big? 
or is it weak? L of feeble, fragile. If if your practice is weak and feeble, then it is not strong enough to help you to be solid, and it is not enough to create happiness and joy for you. And and if your dharma body, uh, dharma body is weak, then you cannot manage your own suffering, and. And as a practitioner, we need to uh, nourish our dharma body so that it grows every day. We know that in the winter, the trees grows very slowly, but in spring, it grows very fast. And some nights, it grows two inches. Especially the bamboo trees, it grows so quick. And we see it like this, and the next day it's already uh, bamboo shoot grows very quickly. And so in sp- spring, in in the West, it call springing, like springing up, growing fast. And so we have to, we have to make our dharma body grows uh, that fast too, even in the winter time. And the monks and the nuns and our lay friends asked ourselves if our dharma body is growing every day or is it feeble and weak. Thai sees that his dharma body is growing stronger every day. When Thai walks, breathes, work, or interact, that the dharma body has to grow. And that in the early morning, um, it's an opportunity for the Dharma body to grow. Even if it's for 30 minutes or 45 minutes, we have to sit in a way that the Dharma body can grow bigger so that that we are uh, peaceful and joyful when we sit. And that Dharma body can be nourished by other practices. Uh, such as walking meditation, eating meditation, washing our bowls, or working, that the that the dharma body can grow. Dharma body, if we don't uh, nourish it, if we don't uh, solidate it, consolidate it, reinforce it, then it weakens. The Dharma body has needs conditions to grow. In in but in um, physics, they talk about oh in education they talk about conditioning that we learned by conditioning. Conditioning called operant conditioning.
we have to be active, that it cannot grow by itself, that we have to be active in making it grow. For example, when you hear the sound of the bell, when we, the sound of the bell is happening, and as a, as a non-practitioner, the Uh, the sound of the bell becomes just a sound, just like any other sound. But as a practitioner in Plum Village, that the sound of the bell is not just another sound, that it's our habit that when the bell is invited, we have a reflex, immediate reflex. And this reflex is to stop all the thinking and not trying, not trying. Nobody asks us to stop thinking, but we stop, stop our on, on our own. We, uh, we keep silent. When we, he- when we are talking, we immediately stop talking and you know, keep in silent. At the beginning, it may not be like that, that when we hear the bell, only when other people remind us that we we stay quiet and breathe. But we stay in Plum Village for two or three weeks. We have more conditions to um, condition ourselves. Other people in the Sangha, everyone does Everyone does it. For example, when they eat, um, they hear the, the, the clock chiming, they stop eating and return into the present moment, just really see that they are alive in the present moment and to breathe in and out consciously. And at the beginning, it's strange. Especially if we're coming to Plum Village for the first time, when we hear the bell the, or the clock chimes, Everyone stops, it's strange to us, but then after some time, it's familiar. And after um, it becomes familiar, that it becomes a habit energy for us, that we hear the bell or the clock, we stop. We stop, that we don't need other people to remind us, and that's called conditioning. At the beginning, there's a reaction to the bell. So the bell or an image of someone practicing walking meditation are conditions that help us to come back to ourselves to practice. But after some times, it becomes a habit. We don't need, we don't, we don't need anyone to remind us but we continue to practice. We continue to practice. Uh, 
If we don't continue to practice, then this habit energy becomes really weak, really weak, and and so our practice, our our thoughts, our thinking does not stop, and so we have we have to. It's called reinforcement. Our dharma body, if we want it to be strong, if we want. We need to consolidate it. We need to reinforce it. So we need uh, reinforcement and consolidation. And so when we are away from the sangha, we don't have conditions to reinforce our practice. And after three months, we can easily lose our practice. And our dharma body can be really weak. And when we are no longer, you have the, this condition, the conditions of the bell or the schedule or the sangha. But if we continue to practice, because we need to have joy, we need to have um, happiness. We 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 need to manage our suffering. And so we are determined to practice, even if no one is around us, to remind us. And that's called operant conditioning. We we consolidate and reinforce our own practice. So that's the second meaning of the Dharma body. And later in the Mahayana Buddhism, the the meaning of uh, body dharma is very different. It means the the wonders of of uh, uh, the wonders of the universe, the the purple purple bamboo, the white clouds, uh, the birds singing. Those are all the manifestation of the dharma body. When we look at the a leaf or a flower, when we look at a cloud or a river, or an, uh, an eyes, eyes, or the autumn leaves, we can see that they are wonders, they are wonderful, and that all of these things are given talks. They're talking, they're given talks on impermanence, non-self, on the four, four noble truths, the Eightfold Paths. So when we look at a rose and listen deeply to the rose, we can see that the rose is given a Dharma talk. So the rose is the Dharma body. When we listen to the sound of the birds, and we, we can see that the bird is given a Dharma talk, that everything is given a Dharma talk. It's talking about impermanence, non-self, Dharma, uh, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Paths. So, Dharma body is understood uh, in that way, and that Dharma body of the Buddha is always, always present, and that the Buddha uh, never ends giving talks. And so, the meaning of Dharma body in Mahayana tradition is like that, that every practitioner becomes uh, a poet. Because Dharma body is the inspiration for poetry. 
And so in Zen, in meditation, all practitioners become artists, poets, because the Dharma body is the beauties of the whole universe. And so Dharma body has that meaning. And so Dharma body, first of all, it's the teachings, the teachings of the uh, the, the Buddha, the Dharma, and then and then later on it has the meaning our practice, and then at the end it means the wonders of the universe that are given Dharma talks, and if we have the ears, we can hear the Buddha is given Dharma talk through the roses, um, through. Everything. <laughs> and so our practice is summarized um, in um, one practice on how to generate joy happiness peace at least these three things we generate for ourselves first and when we have joy happiness and peace and then we can help the other person to to be able to do the same if we can do it if if we can't do it, then we cannot help other people to generate these qualities. And when we have, if we have a sangha, well, that consists of people who knows how to generate joy, happiness, and peace. It helps. It's very helpful for us. And this is um, um, this is an investment. And that, and that we have to be able to see, we have to look into a sangha, or when we look at a family, we, we, we judge the family by the quality of joy, peace, and happiness. And then the children in that family, the children in that family will also have happiness, peace, and joy. Also in the classroom, or in a community, uh, like uh, like um, the parliament, or in a school, or in hospital, or or in a business corporation, it's the same thing. If there's joy, peace, and happiness. Then that family, that organization, that work, that cooperation, can can help, can serve the world. And first of all, we have to learn, in a way, that our dharma body, our practice, can generate joy, happiness, and peace for ourselves. And then we can offer this practice to our families and to the larger society. And the Dharma body or this practice 
it has the capacity to manage, to process our suffering, the suffering. First of all, it's the the feelings, feelings of suffering, negative feelings in us, and strong emotions, uh, painful emotions that we have to be able to manage them. It's the very concrete practices that when we come to Plum Village, we need to learn these things, and that if if you a good practice that you can learn it in in one day and that you don't learn it in a Dharma talk or in a class but we learn it in our practice through the practice that every step that each step each breath can generate joy happiness and peace that we don't need to wait until spring for the Dharma body to grow but it can grow right now in the winter In France, this they say silence. It's growing. In the future, it says it teaches us uh, practices for us to generate joy, peace, and happiness. La and ang joy, happiness, and peace. That as a practitioner, we need to pro- generate these three elements. And if we cannot generate these three elements, then we are not truly not a true practitioner, a good practitioner. That we don't have a dharma body yet. And the technique, the way to train, to have joy, happiness, and peace, we first must uh, rely on the, the practice of letting go. That uh, letting go brings joy, happiness, and peace. It's strange, but it is like that. In Chinese, it's called leave behind, let it go. Letting go give birth to joy. Joy and happiness. He is joy. Lack is happiness. These two elements can be born with the with the letting go. By the practice of letting go, gives birth to joy and happiness.
this line uh, are all over uh, in all the sutras. That if we cannot uh, have joy and happiness, then we cannot. We we have not let go. Then we think that if we don't have we don't have that thing, then we can die. But if we can just let it go, we can really have joy and happiness. We have to be brave enough to let it go. For example, we are living in Los Angeles. We're very busy. We know that the city is very noisy and polluted. We want to have two two days weekend to to leave the city and to go to the countryside, like in Frankfurt. If we want to go to Plum Village, we we wanted to go so many times, but we cannot come because we were not able to let go. In Paris, the same. People cannot let go of Paris, even though Paris is very noisy and polluted. They can never see the moon or the stars, but they get caught in. They can't get caught in Paris. And one day, a friend comes and say, uh, "Let's come. Let's let's this Friday. Let's go to Plum Village." Let's go to Plum Village. I have a car. I can drive you. And that person was really good at convincing us to leave, and so we accept to go. We and when we get in the car, and only forty-five minutes that we can leave, we can leave Paris, and we can see the countryside. We can see the wind, the breeze. We can. We can feel the spaciousness, and it gives us joy. And that joy comes from being able to let go Paris behind us. So, so letting go um, gives rise to joy and happiness. And when we go to Plum Village, when we here in Plum Village, because we're able to let go, let go of the city behind us. There are some people who struggle so long, but can never get to Plum Village. And we are here; we are sitting here. It means that we have we had the capacity to let go. But what do we let go of? That's the issues. We need to sit down, get a piece of paper, and write down things that we can let go. We have. We are still caught in many things. And that we are not happy and we're not uh, joyful because we have not been able to let go. First of all, it's our ideas, our new notions of happiness. Is something that is very difficult to let go. That each one of us have uh, has an idea of happiness. That we think that we must have this or that to be happy, or or we have to eliminate this or that to be happy. So we have these ideas. We have we think that we have to have these conditions. We have this house or this car or that person 
to live with us so that we can be happy. So we we have these ideas of happiness. And people who are who are following the communist, they think that only the most Marxist um, ideology um, make us happy, and so they are caught in this idea of happiness. And the people who are socialist, they think that um, um, mm, the economy is what bring them happiness. So we have an idea of happiness, and we cannot let go. And so sit down and look again. What is our idea? What are our ideas of happiness? And if and we see and that if we haven't have we haven't been happy and joyful, it means that we we were caught in some kind of ideas. So we have to be able to let them go. For example. And so one day, the Buddha was sitting with the monks in the woods, and they were having um, they were having a silent lunch. And a farmer came by. The, he was hurrying, hurry by. He asked the monks, "Dear monks, have you seen my cows? The my cows have all left me this morning." And I don't have my cows. How can I live? I think I will die. I think I will kill myself. And then he said, because the Buddha was listening deeply, he said, "There, are, I have several fields of uh, sesame, and don't know what happened, but they were all eaten up by insects, and I could not harvest anything. I cannot live. I don't have any sesame. I don't have any cows. How can I live? I think I will kill myself." And then the Buddha said, "Dear friend, I've been we've been sitting here for more than half hour, and I have we haven't seen any cows pass by here. Maybe you go in the other direction." And so the farmer left in that direction, and the Buddha turned to his monks and said, "Dear monks, you are very lucky. You don't have cows to lose. No cows." And no, no fear to lose them. And and the the main purpose of the of the story is that if we have cows, we have to let them go. That our idea of happiness is a cow, and that is because of this idea of happiness that we cannot be happy. Your idea of happiness. Is the main obstacle for your happiness. And just like the Soviet Union, they have seventy years. They think that having this ideology would make them. Make them having the the ideology of masses ideology would make them string a strong their country strong and that there's no other ideology than the Marxist and they get caught in this ideology for seventy years 
And anybody who's against that ideology is it's killed, it's eliminated. And that is, and that ideology is a cow that we were not able to let go. And so each one of us need to sit down. That's what practice is: is to sit down with a piece of paper and write down and call the names of all the cows that we have, and in it is the our ideas of happiness. We get caught in. We suffer, we struggle with all these things, but we cannot have the capacity to let them go. So, how many cows do we have? Write, sit down, and write them. Write down their names. Sometimes we see that one page is not in good, not enough to write the names of all these cows. And the truth is that if you let go of these cows, you can be lighter. If you let go two cows, then you can be much lighter. And if you let go of all these cows, then your happiness will be much greater. During the time of the Buddha, there's a man, governor, a governor. Um, a governor of a state. He wanted to become a monastic. He wanted to become a monk because he saw uh, the Buddha and his monks and was inspired and wanted to become a monk. And that night he was in sitting meditation. He was so happy because he were able to let go of all the cows to to become a monk. And so, in that that sitting meditation, he was so happy that he said, "Oh my happiness! Oh my happiness!" And there was a monk next to him, about two meters from him. He thought maybe this monk regretted his position as a governor, because as a governor, he has a lot of power. He has a lot of militaries and money and 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 servants. And now he had let them all go and become some monks, and he doesn't have any of those things, and so he's regretting. So he went and and shared this with the Buddha, and and um, and the bar, the Buddha called this monk over, and the bar, the monk said. You were in your sitting meditation. You said, "Oh my happiness! Oh my happiness!" What was your, what was happening to you? Even though the Buddha was knew what was happening, but the Buddha wanted him to share directly. And so, the Buddha asked Bariya, um, "Do you say all oh, happiness, all oh, happiness, in, while um, in meditation?" And Bariya said, "Dear Buddha, yes, I did." At one point in my meditation, I said, "Oh, my happiness!" And the Buddha asked, "Why did you do that? Can you tell us why?" And Badia said, um, "Dear Buddha, when I was a governor, I had everything. 
I had militaries to protect me. I had, I had positions. I had servants. I have wealth, lots of money, but I always live in fear. I was afraid that people come and kill me, attack me to to get all my wealth, and my possession, and so. And even though I have a lot of militaries and wealth, and but I was had so much fear, and I was not really happy. But now, as a monastic. I don't have any of those things. The, even the 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 label governor, I let that go too. And so, in sitting meditation, I saw clearly that I have great happiness, great freedom, and great uh, non-fear because there's nothing for me to be afraid of. I have let go of everything. And so, in that state of freedom, I could not take it anymore. I had to utter the words "Oh, happiness." So he he said that to the Buddha, and now the other monks understood that the happiness of uh, happiness of Badia is not to get more, to not accumulate more wealth and possession, but to let go. And so, in the sutra. It is said that letting go is the first practice to have joy and happiness. Perhaps we can ask, but I want to let go, but I don't know what to let go. So we need to be able to let, recognize our cows before we can let them go. So we need to sit down and write down the names of these cows that we have been, that we have not been able to have the courage to let go. If we can let go one cow, our happiness grow this much. And so the first practice is to let go, let go. So that happiness and joy can be born. Let go, so that happiness and joy and peace can be possible. Okay. Peace. So, so Bariya has a lot of joy, happiness, and peace. And so, when you become a nun or a monk, people say that you are very foolish, but in truth, you are very wise. Because you have, you let go of everything so that you can have joy, happiness, and peace, and it makes you light, and no, no more fear, no more anxiety. And in the sutra, and the, it is there are also other practices, dinsinhila, concentration, borns, give. Uh, Give rise to joy, happiness, and peace, and that when we are meditation, then we can we have a lot of joy, happiness, and peace. Because concentration, then um, sam samata, samari samari then. Name, then, 
mindfulness, concentration, and insight, if we have three, these three energies, then it gives rise to lots of joy, happiness, and peace. With, joy, with mindfulness, concentration, and insight, you can generate joy, happiness, and peace in our body. We can let go of lots of tension in our body. We can let go. We can lessen. We can lessen the pain in our body. And so, concentration is helps helps us to do that. If we know how to breathe in mindfulness, um, breathe in concentration, uh, sit in concentration, then we can let go a lot of tension in our body. We can also let go a lot of tension in our mind as well, our feelings, our feeling emotions, and we can generate joy, happiness, and peace. Shin, letting go, let, letting go gives rise to joy, happiness, and peace. And concentration also gives rise to joy, happiness, and peace. And this is an art. The art of meditation. And in, in, in Zen tradition, they say that uh, concentration is food. The joy of meditation as daily food. Joy meditation as daily food. Yuk is also it's it's, um, it's synonymous to joy. Joy of meditation as daily food. The joy of meditation is it nourishes every day, and then a practitioner we nourish ourselves, nourish ourselves with joy, mind, happiness, and peace, and not by not by power, fame, position, or sex. If we have the practice, strong practice, meditation practice then we can nourish ourselves and we can nourish our loved ones. And of course, in, in, mindf- in concentration, there's mindfulness. In Plum Village, we learn very clearly um, that the mindfulness gives rise to joy, happiness, and, and peace. That happen, mindfulness is the source of joy, the source of happiness, and the source of peace. And this is, this is not just uh, speaking. They're not just theoretical. Because we know that when we generate the energy of mindfulness, then we can have joy, happiness. For example, when... When I sit on this podium and I do these mindful movements, I do this not to have health, not 
to have joy and happiness. When I do this, these these mindful movements are not are not uh, the means to get uh, to an end, but these means are really doing while doing it. It's the joy and happiness that I get. And so in Plum Village, this is what we do: that while we sit, while we walk, while we chant. It is not to have. It is not to get to happiness and joy, but it is the the very walk, the very sit that is the joy and happiness. And it's all due to mindfulness. When I stand like this, and I lift my arms like this. Don't think that I'm just lifting my arms. I'm lifting my mindfulness as well. I see clearly that the brothers, the monks in my generation of my generation, the monks that were uh, in the same university uh, with me, many of them have died. There are a few of them are still alive, but they're still they are in wheelchairs. But I'm still be able to do this, so it gives great joy, and that is called niyam mindfulness. Niyam is recollection. Niyam is niyam. That why I do this, and I have joy and happiness because I have mindfulness. I have recollection. The the Min Chao Thai Min Chao is no longer no longer able to do this. Thai Min Chao is the person that translated the Pali Canon. He's no longer able to do this. Hoa Thượng Thanh Tư, my best friend, um, he's no longer able to do this because he always have two assistants next to him to help him to move. And now, but for me, I can do this. So it, I remember, I recollect. This and it helps me to be happy. We have to remember that. I breathe, and for me to be to to breathe joyfully, then now I need to have this mindfulness. There was one year that I have an issues with the lungs. There was a lung ceremonies, a a a virus called ceremonies in me, in my lungs. That. That made my lungs. Uh, that that made my lungs bleed. Whether I would ble- uh, um, spit out blood, and with lungs like that, it's it's difficult to breathe. It's difficult to be happy while breathing. And after treatment. And my lungs becomes better. Well, my breathing becomes much better. And when I breathe for you, all I need to do is to remember the time that when my lungs were infected with these viruses. Then my breathing becomes really, um, really delicious, really good. And so, to have joy and happiness, 
we can get it immediately. It's not difficult. It all, all it takes is mindfulness. Now, there are some young, there are young people sitting here. That we have good legs. We can jump. We can climb. And if we're not happy, it's a pity, because for old people, we no longer be able to jump or climb. And it it takes mindfulness to recollect that we are still young, that we have two good eyes, bright eyes. We have good lungs. We have good legs, and that we can enjoy our legs, our eyes. And if you cannot be happy, it's because of you. Because you don't have mindfulness. If you have mindfulness, with these two eyes, with these lungs that are still working in good working condition and good legs, then you can have joy and happiness throughout the day. It's up to you. It's up to you. And we have to remind ourselves. And our friends uh, on the practice uh, can remind us, and to to give rise to mindfulness. Because as when we have mindfulness, we can uh, have joy and happiness immediately. Lee, letting go, uh, give rise to joy and happiness. Mind, uh, concentration or um, meditation, mindfulness also bring joy, happiness, and peace. And insight also brings joy, happiness, and insight. We have insights. Every one of us have an an insight. We know that that thing is not worthy of our, our, our pursuit, pursuit. It's not worthy for our concern, and we and we don't want to get caught in it. We're wise. We're insightful. We know that thing is not important. It's not worthy of our concern, not worthy of our time and energy, and not worthy for our struggle and fight. But we, but we still put our time and energy into struggling and trying to get those things, and that is because we are not very wise and insightful. We all have insight, but we don't know how to make use of our insight. If we have insight, we can let go so easily. It's the reason you can't can't let go because you don't make use of your insight. You know that. You know that if you get caught in it, then you suffer. But you you get caught in it anyways. Just like a fish, when it knows that in that bait there's a hook, then that fish has insight. But if it no, if it has that insight, then it wouldn't bite on this. By uh, bait, because we get caught by this hood, and we have insight, but we don't make use of our insight. 
we just let uh, we just let her the hook um, caught catch us. We're very um, we're very unwise. We just let ourselves get caught in these situations. We let ourselves be, get caught and attached to these situations that are not worthy, because we don't know how to make use of our wisdom. Every one of us have wisdom, uh, but and the more we practice, the more mindfulness concentration we have, the greater our insight. There is Sister doing him adorn herself with insight. Sister Sister Dinyam who adorned herself with concentration. We have mindfulness, we have concentration and insight, but we don't make use of our concentration and insight, so we get caught in these difficult situations or, or, or patterns, patterns of behaviors. So we, we, we have to learn how to make use of these elements, these elements that we have to generate joy, happiness, and peace, letting go, concentration, mindfulness, and insight. We have to, it's very clearly that, that we have to learn, that we have learning is conditioning. We have to make use of these elements. Whether we are reminded or not reminded, we can still be able to condition ourselves to make use of these elements. When we, gen- we can generate joy, happiness, and peace with these four elements, then we can also manage our suffering with these four, four things. These sufferings that we have, they're not very big. But, but because we don't know how to manage them, so they... They look as if they're very big, but they're not really big suffering. And we learn, uh, we, methods that we learn in the sutras that when we have suffering, we have to know how to manage. But the majority of us in the society does not know how to manage our suffering. When our suffering comes up, we just try to avoid and run away from from the suffering with consumptions, with forgetfulness. We turn on the TV, we uh, take a book to read, we open the refrigerator to find something to eat, or call a friend. We find all, ways, all kinds of ways to, to, to distract us so that we, we do not have to remember the suffering in us. That's called running away. That majority of us in the society uh, do that because we don't know how to manage our suffering. And that these sufferings are covered. And they're just covered over. And they continue to grow. The majority of us in the society 
do not know how to manage this suffering. They only know how to cover cover up this suffering, and and the suffering continue to grow to the point where it explode, and we cannot run away from it anymore. And while in the in the sutra, the Buddha taught very clearly that we can manage our suffering with these four four things, four elements. This is our suffering. It's a truth. It's a reality. And mindfulness, mindfulness, right mindfulness, right concentration and insight are energies that we can use to to recognize and to embrace, so that and we help the suffering to to soothe, just like a mother embracing a baby in a tender way, loving way. Then the baby suffers less, and we have to learn how to recognize and embrace our suffering with mindfulness, concentration, and insight. That's the first step, and the second step, we look deeply into our suffering in order to understand and to transform the suffering, to transform it into something that's positive, such as using the mud to grow the lotus. So suffering is very beneficial as well. It's like the mud that is needed to grow the lotus. And as a practitioner, we know we know how to use the suffering. We make we know how to make you suffering, and when we know how to make you suffering, then we suffer less. Only when we know when we don't know how to suffer, we don't know how to manage our suffering. Then, then our suffering becomes big. But if we know how to suffer, then our suffering becomes less. It's very clear that two people are in the same situation. One person suffers enormously, and the other person does not suffer as much because that person knows how to manage manage his her suffering. And how do we suffer? How do we know how to suffer? What does he mean by? Knowing how to suffer. First of all, we must not let the second arrow hit us. This is what the Buddha taught: that when someone is shot by an arrow, there's a lot of pain. But if there's another arrow that goes to the same place, then the suffering is. It's ten times more, because, and the second, the second arrow is our anxiety, our reaction, our, our imagination, and all these things magnify the the suffering. When we have a pain in a physical pain or an emotional, mental pain, we should not we cannot imagine it, exaggerate it that it grows bigger with exaggeration or imagination, 
or fear. We think that maybe we have cancer and that we're almost going to die, that we're going to die soon. It may be just a simple pain, a little pain, but our fear, our fear makes this pain grow even bigger and our, this pain is the second arrow. So we have to be able to be calm and recognize it for what it is and not imagine it to be something big. We don't need to go to a, a, a doctor. We can just... We can just learn to recognize it for what it is and not to be angry and fearful. And it's the anger and the fear that helped, that made it grow much bigger. And this is what we call the, the second arrow. We have to avoid the second arrow. And the second steps, that we have to be present. We have to be present to recognize and to manage and embrace our suffering. If we make, if we can use mind, letting go, mindfulness, concentration, and insight to recognize our suffering, then we can suffer less. The other person may suffer 95%, but for us, we suffer much, much less. And that's called the, the art of suffering. The first one, that first one is called the art of happiness, and the second practice is called the art of suffering, knowing how to manage our suffering. And we can go a bit further by using using our suffering to 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 help us, because with suffering that we can cultivate compassion and understanding and love. Just like the lotus, we're we're using lotus to grow flower. It's been one ten, one hour and ten minutes. Today. It's dry, so we can enjoy walk-in meditation. So please um, make every step uh, in, in joy and happiness. We have to make use of our lungs and our, our bright eyes. We make use of our legs, our good legs. There, we have so many conditions to be, to be happy, to, to generate to joy and happiness. We have to practice in a way that our dharma body grows stronger. And it's all up to you. Don't let your dharma body become weak and feeble. Even in the winter, in our winter retreat, our winter retreat has um, two two months have gone already, and we have to make use of of of, of the winter retreat. We need to learn. We need to learn and have a good grasp of these practices to generate joy, happiness, 
and peace with uh, letting go of uh, mindfulness, concentration, and insight. That we have to learn how to manage our suffering with the en- with these energies, the energies of letting go, energy of mindfulness, concentration, and insight. <laughs> 